Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Adam Smith. I'd like to welcome you to this special on-location podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Special because the fantastic Exeter Medical School is uh, playing host to us today, and because this week I'm not joined by researchers, but instead I'm joined by three inspirational individuals who have and continue to face the realities of living with dementia as part of their everyday lives. And, uh, I mean, also as well, are fantastic champions for the importance of research. So um, this week specifically, we're going to talk and chat about what inspired them to become involved in research, what's been their experience of participating in studies, and what they did and didn't like, and find out what advice they would give to uh, early career dementia researchers. So I'm pleased to welcome uh, Hilary Doxford, Jane Goodrich. I said that wrong again, didn't I? We just checked whether I get that right. Jane Goodrich. fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is becoming a theme now. It's okay. We're not going to edit that yeah. out. It's, it's a theme. Every podcast I record, I'm going to get names wrong. So Jane Goodrich and Chris Roberts. And of course, everybody actually, Chris, who I talk to, thinks you're Chris Mason because Mason's your Twitter. It's Chris Mason, right? <laughs> and Chris Roberts. Um, so, first of all, why don't we start with a quick roundtable so you could tell us a little bit about yourselves. I'm going to go um, anti-clockwise and start with Hilary as I introduced you first. Okay, thanks Adam. I'm Hilary, I, and I'm married to Peter. We've been married about 10 years and I got diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease in 2012. And following on from that, I have got very involved in doing all, all I can to help anybody working in the dementia field to support them in their work. Um, and I'm a member of the research network of the Alzheimer's Society, amongst many other things. And you're, re- I mean, you, you extend internationally as well, don't you? you you're, your influence. Uh, I guess you could say that, <laughs> yes. It's, a lot of it's been in the right place at the right time. I was in the right place when the World, World Dementia Council got set up and I got invited to join that. Similarly, Alzheimer's Europe, they have a European working group of people with dementia and I got involved with that. Um, and all everything I get involved in does have a research aspect to it because that's where my, my interest lies and my passion lies. Thank you. Um, Chris? Hello, I'm uh, Chris Roberts. I live in North Wales, right on the coast. Lovely, beautiful spot. I I was diagnosed um, about um, six years ago, maybe seven. Firstly with um, vascular dementia, and then a little bit afterwards, three months afterwards, I think, um, with um, Alzheimer's. So I've got mixed dementia. Um, it was a bit of a learning curve because we were totally ignorant about dementia. So it took us a while, but after research, we understood the illness a bit better and we could embrace it a bit better. And with any change, change, uh, life-changing illness, we changed our lives. And, um, and that's what we'll be doing now. We're involved in the same as Hillary, lots of similar things. And um, research actually gave us the hope that we were looking for because there was no cure, um, we thought it was the end of the world, and research gave us the hope we were looking for. It does give people hope, and it's, and it's fantastic to take part. Thanks, Chris. Um, and 
Jane. Oh, who, of course, we shouldn't say you, you're Chris's wife. Yeah. Although, I guess you're going to say that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> my, my name's Jane Goodrick, but Chris and I are legally married. We've been married 24 years now. And uh, I'm minded that this summer, the Alzheimer's Society conference um, held a panel which was said a world which was titled "A World Without Dementia." Well, our world was di- a world without dementia prior to 2012, which is when Chris had his first diagnosis. And after that, we were plunged into a world that we knew nothing about, we had no knowledge of, and as Chris said, we were left hopeless. We now understand the meaning of the word hopeless, um, but research gave us back that hope. But we had to do a lot of um, a lot of research ourselves into finding out what what was out there. Um, what research we could get involved in, how to get involved in research, and that has become one of our joint abiding, um, well, the life that we we live together now. And I mean, I think I realise it. <clears throat> you, I mean, you three really are kind of unique. I mean, do you think you're unique individuals? Because of course, what you've taken from this diagnosis. Seen, you know, has kind of taken you into a whole different space on the world, you, on the work you've done in champion and engaging research. The kind of, I mean, I know I've seen you all talk at, to some very big audiences at some big national conferences. I don't know if that's what you would have done in your everyday life before this. No, absolutely not. But but there's been people around like us for the last twenty five years. Um, it's just that there's more and more now. Because the first ones that sort of came out, you know, and, and, and started taking part in research and getting the name out there, like Christine Bride in 22 years, um, they inspired people. And they then, did. then the people that were inspired inspired more people. Mm. Yeah, I think you'll find it's very, we have very little new things to say because there's been so many people before us and still alongside us saying them. But we can reinforce what they're saying because a lot of sense is taught by people who lived the experience. We know what it's like, so we can say it as it is. Yeah, we, 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 we realise that we've become experts ourselves by experience. And we, we, we've got knowledge of our illness that um, professionals will never have. Yeah. And, of course, everybody's going to have their own experience of dementia, aren't they? Because, of course, symptoms are so Absolutely. different. People's backgrounds are different and how it affects them. Yeah, we're all individuals. Well. So you, you're all, I mean, not just an inspiration, I think, to researchers as well, but hopefully to other people who are newly diagnosed, who are kind of trying to come to terms with this diagnosis as to how it can, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be limiting in the way that, um, that it is for some people. No, I, I mean, we don't go to asylums anymore. We don't get locked up and forgotten about, you know, and, and there is life after diagnosis. And, um, and, and Are you, even, I mean, you're all accredited. Even, Jane, that, even Jane, my wife, is living with dementia because it affects everyone around me. Yeah. When Chris had his diagnosis, the whole family received a diagnosis, we all had to change our way of living. We didn't change our life, but just our way of living to make um, certain adjustments for Chris. Uh, and certain adjustments in making sure somebody, you know, was somebody always available uh, if needed. But I think Chris and Hillary were diagnosed at an optimum time um, because we've had great inroads with the internet. As Chris said, there have been lots of people before, and as Hillary said, saying the same things that they're saying. But now with the internet, people have had a much louder voice. Uh, People have been able to get together and people like the researchers have been able to find the advocates like Chris and Hillary much more easily because of the internet and email and all the social media. People that are very, very passionate 
um, may seem to have a louder voice. It's just that they may be able to use the internet or, or social media uh, more easily or find out how to get involved. We didn't know about Alzheimer's Research UK until we went onto the internet. Yeah. And that has enabled people with dementia to actually have a much stronger voice. Prior to this, it was very much the carer's voice that was heard and our perception of what Chris may have wanted or, or may have needed, as opposed to now it's their own voices being heard and being heard very uh, strongly and worldwide. And people forget uh, it, 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 dementia is not the image that's portrayed in the media. You know, that there is a beginning and a middle before the end stages. And also dementia doesn't define us. We, we, we're not just people living with dementia. We, we, we were um, managers researchers well that's, that's a good question actually i'm quite interested to know what did you do in your um what did you do in your uh i hate to always kind of label somebody as what were you bef- you know what, in, were, in what were you like like your <laughs> job is just what you're all about but what did you do as, as i've had several before? previous lives as my life has gone along i left school i became an adult and went became a worker i then had a career in the ambulance service i then stopped working in the ambulance service and that was very much a little bit more than a housewife, but I ran business from home. So I've had lots of previous lives. So don't worry about saying previous No, no, but that's quite, that's quite interesting because then that gives you quite a varied experience. I think running your own business and kind of applying those skills to a different, you know, to a different challenge, which is your, you know, your passion to kind of spread the word and inspire and influence and things like that. I think those skills you bring with you. What about you, Hilary? What did you do? Well, my very first job, I was a laboratory assistant for Boots the Chemist. Um, but I moved from that into the retail side, then I moved into software, then I moved into business um, analysis, um, tended to be in management roles. But my, my last job, I worked for the UK's Renal Registry, which is, has a massive database collecting data on chronic kidney disease and acute kidney injury. Um, we got data on patients from, from all around the country. It's basically an audit outfit but we also did research um, because we got this very rich source of data so I worked on the management side but I've worked with clinicians statisticians data managers and it's given me such a helpful background into suddenly moving from that side of the fence to actually becoming somebody with a diagnosis and you're you're both retired now as well had you retired before you got your diagnosis or did your no, retirement come off? I carried on working for five years, but last year it, it eventually became, with, with your brain sort of shutting down bit by bit, it was getting too complicated. Yeah. That's not to say I won't look for a job. Um, I could still do an admin type job where I've got repetitive tasks, that sort of thing, because I'm still in the early stages, mm. but I certainly cannot handle complex well, and, and of course, the, the, this other side of things, this, you know, your, your work in, in, in advocacy and everything else is, is kind of, I, I imagine, quite time-consuming. It, <laughs> you, just, you just need to get paid for it, right? full-time, <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be nice, yeah. Um, I think one of the things we, we say is it keeps, helps keep our brains active. Yeah. And with this disease, you really have got to force yourself to use your brain. It's mm-hmm. so easy it's your brain becomes it is your brain becomes lazy like people become lazy physically your brain becomes makes you become lazy it's i never thought just thinking could be such hard work it always used to just happen you Mm -hmm. know 
the answers came to me, no effort. Now, oh, you get so tired just thinking. Like that fragmented hard drive, you know, when your computer starts to go slow. Yeah, defrag you... me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't a euphemism either. <laughs> Restart button. So, well, let, let's, move, let's move on then. So, um, as I said, I mean, uh, I, I think in addition to the fantastic work you do to, to raise awareness of research and to encourage others and to inspire, you've all, um, as well as being champions, you've also kind of participated in research and things yourself. So how did you first arrive kind of at, at research as being something? Was this, did somebody introduce this to you or did you go go off in search? I mean, Jane, you mentioned the internet. Was that, you know, I mean, were you Googling this you well, know, the night you came out of the, the well, memory I, clinic. I mentioned the internet an awful lot, but it was Chris that was doing that. You know, just because he has dementia doesn't make him stupid. No, as no. Hillary, as Hillary has, as, Misconception, um, it? has showed, the amount of skills and knowledge that Hillary has had be, before the day she had diagnosis does not go away the day after diagnosis. No. You know, so all those skills used. So it was Chris that actually went onto the internet and found out as much as he could to support us both. I was in not a good place, but trying to put on a very brave face. You know, I wrapped him in cotton wool. I disabled Chris earlier than the dementia did, but that was out of love and kindness. Mm. But very quickly, because he's, he's such a pragmatic man, it was like, come on, Jane, let's get over this. So did you, I mean, what did you find? I mean, so many of us turn to the internet now, don't we? Which is full of good things and bad things. Um, what did you find? I mean, did you find stuff on the internet that was helpful? Um, yes and no. There's a lot of generic misconceptions and uh, assumptions and, and a lot of fake news out there. A lot of fear out there Yeah, as well. yeah, and you've really got to filter through the good and the bad. The first research I ever took part in was something that the memory clinic actually mentioned to me. And I was a bit apprehensive about going because I had this image in my head of being strapped to a table and parts of my brain being taken from me because it wasn't explained properly. And so it's some months before I actually thought about it and actually got in touch again. Once I've done a little bit of research and realised that not all research is invasive. And then I got involved and then I want to get involved more then. Mm. I think, um, actually, I mean, that's just thinking about the, the internet again. Is This is, because uh, of course this podcast is mainly aimed at early career researchers, about obviously a big ambition of early career researchers is to do their publications. But... I think increasingly, particularly in certain areas of research, they have to go beyond that because whatever they find as part of their PhDs and things, it's not just good enough now to publish it into a journal which other other academics are going to read. Actually, you want that research, you know, to to be there a direct line of sight between your research outcomes and the people that you're hoping that that will will help. I know I've been talking to the team at Leeds Beckett and Alice Griffiths recently about their efforts to disseminate their findings on their care home research, for example. I, I don't know, is, is that something you'd expect to see more of? And where, where do, you, do, you, do you find that now? Do you, do you get an opportunity to see research outcomes? I think it's one of our bugbears, is that we all see pockets of excellence and we hear about the outcomes of some of these research projects and they go no further and I don't know where the fault lies because I think that the funders should take some responsibility for making sure the end point isn't speaking at a conference or publishing a paper it has to be implementation and dissemination 
and it really frustrates me. I see all these bits of excellent work being done for PhDs and they go no further. And somebody needs to take responsibility for making it happen. Because if, if I put all this, you're pouring money into research, there should be benefits pouring out the other end and it's just too limiting. Um, people with dementia, you know, day by day, another X hundred or thousand of people hit another end, well, not an end point, hit another milestone in the progression of the disease. And they're not going to go backwards any, they're only progressing further, further down the line. And the things that could come out of this research that could delay that progression, and it's a sin to me for it, for it not to be shared. It's terrible when it just gets shelved. And my, my biggest bugbear is when I take part in, in, in a lot of research, I don't hear anything ever again. Oh, I'm with you on that. I don't get any feedback. I get nothing. And I'd like to be all the way along. I want to know yes. what's happened. I want to know what, 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 what my um, um, contribution I've Did been, it help? Did it not help? Yeah, I've and, taken and the give feedback. I'd like feedback also from the researchers to see how I was. So there's a couple of points there, aren't there? This is about, uh, again, as we go through this podcast and hopefully kind of come up with a few things, which are these tips for early career researchers, is that feedback is really important. And that isn't something that just happens at the end of a study when they publish, like we, we might otherwise expect, that this is something that needs to come throughout. I mean, if we know that some research studies last a month and it involves one visit. Others might last two years, three years and involve going in, you know, 30 times plus screening. But whether it's one visit or 30, you want feedback throughout. Even if they can't necessarily share the results, there's definitely an update they could give. Even just to say the study's progressing absolutely. well, recruitment's absolutely. on track, and, we're and hoping it, to publish and that here. Also, that also, people like, um, um, it's nice to get a thank you. And yeah. then that inspires you to carry on. If you hear nothing, it's like, well, that was a waste of time. That obviously failed. That, yeah. that was obviously, I, I was obviously no good in my contributions because you don't hear anything. So it's okay. And then you've also got the other side of the coin where we could be co-researchers depending on our past. Yeah. And it depends what stage you're at and what relevant background you've got. But there's lots of people out there that were professors and researchers and have got a scientific background. Hillary's got a scientific background. You know, I, I, I couldn't be a co-researcher but there's lots of people that could be. Sorry, Jane, I think you were... Yeah, um, they, they just said exactly what I was going to say. I think one of the things that uh, is, is a, a barrier for people is the media. The media um, are very focused on looking for the cure, looking for medications. They're very medically minded, and there's an awful lot of social research out there, social care <coughs> research, um, technology research that may not be the cure for the dementia but it's the cure for living with the dementia because the technology helps us to live much better the technology keeps Chris and, and I'm going to include Hillary yeah. uh, independent for we a lot longer spent 100 years looking for this magical bullet Let, let's, let's concentrate on care because you know, the let, big let's develop just, just to make people feel good but the big farmer will, will, will right. take care of the the, the, the medical cure, the drug cure. Because we're all going to die anyway. Um, but that's what we need. But we also need um, more avenues for the, the researchers to get their research out to the commissioning bodies. Yeah. If the commissioning bodies don't know that this um, is there, how can they commission it to actually entail more research? Yeah. We know the NICE guidelines. They can only recommend what has been 
evidenced to work. And when we all know something works beautifully, but there's no evidence to support it, they cannot put that into their guidelines. And these are some of the difficulties. I've seen, I mean, I've seen actually a few studies, particularly around PCA and things like that recently, where these are studies that are almost retrospectively trying to get the evidence for what we already know actually works exactly. rather than trying to research something new so just just recapping then so um important to keep not only the study participants but if you've got something to share throughout the process share it even oh, that even if you haven't got even if there's even if it, exactly yeah. even if it's not the yeah. results even if it's yeah. just a progress report to say yeah. things are going well aim to publish here this many people have participated we so haven't forgotten about news. you important to keep everybody up to date. I think we have to probably then, there's probably something for the likes of, of me and the NIHR and the funders to take away for how you might provide a platform that, you know, not quite talking about publishing in a journal here, but a platform by which researchers can share this progress. I mean, obviously, I know we, we all have, are involved with Join Dementia Research as well, which is a a website that allows people to recruit, but you could almost see that some of those progress reports could come back through a, a place like that. They do. Some of the studies, um, proposals that, I'm, that are coming through now are actually talking about having a website for the study that will frequently publish updates. And Craig Ritchie mm. is very good. There's a newsletter comes out on, on his work every month or well, every that's, quarter. That's good, but then I still think the only people who get that are the people who are in the study. So if you know about mm. it and go looking for it, you'll find it. But actually, you almost well, it's, want it's to place public, it It's more public, then. It's definitely better. Yeah, because people can find it easier. Then, yeah. You know, because a lot of this work, you have to really dig deep to find any of it. Mm. And also... So it has to be more publicly um, accessible. As Chris said earlier, he thought research was all about invasive techniques. We don't understand, the lay public don't understand what a biomarker is. I, I would have thought a biomarker would be taking a piece of flesh or blood or, or one of the bodily yeah. fluids or whatever. And actually it can be as simple as a scan. Technical terms, yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of education for the general public to take away that fear. The same as when we had a diagnosis, there was that fear of, we don't know what's ahead. People have a fear of, I don't know what's involved in research. So explanations for us um, and education for us would really about that. What, What's always missing, I think, when, when you take part in research, you know, you, you can have a really good information pack and it can be really accessible and uh, easy read. And what's always missing is, is a, a small glossary of terms. Yeah. Of what acronyms and what they actually mean. So that's to go with the study information that yeah, you get as well, a glossary yeah, of terms to absolutely. remove some of those acronyms. And also, and, and then while you're taking part, because everyone's got the health language, the health talk, and, it's, and I know it's very difficult to change your whole attitude because you've got a patient in the room, but if I had, a, if I had something like that, I, I could not stop you and keep asking, what does that mean, what does that mean? What does, yeah. I think that's um, a theme that's running through the NHS service as a whole anyway because I, I understand that uh, consultants when they're writing letters to GPs are asked now to write to the patient first and copy in the GP as opposed to the GP and copying in the patient and to use less technical terms such as hepatic, using liver instead of hepatic or renal and kidney. Uh, so, uh, And that's not a bad thing but I, I think we must, we, we do accept that actually sometimes the medics need to be medics, yeah. but where they can use more lay language, 
please do so to encourage people, to, to give people less fear. So there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there as well is I think as much as this podcast is aimed at early career researchers, I think given you're all involved, there's a fair chance that some other people might listen to this as well. So there are a couple of places that I know I turn to for information that we should probably just get a plug in for. So the ALS, the, um, is it called the ALS Forum? The ALS Forum is a website where uh, researchers, where they pick up on certain pieces of research and publish it in there in ways that not necessarily in language that's for, for lay people, but certainly it's there for you to be able to look at. I'm sure it's the ALS Forum. It is the ALS Forum. And but what then, is a lay person? As I said, we've all got our own well, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So exactly. don't make assumptions that no, the, no, the I mean, patients it's, it's, can't... It's certainly published Access. for a scientific audience, yeah. but also as well you can comment. So I think there's definitely a place where if you don't mm. know something... Yes, but is, is that, is that um, I don't know the forum you're talking about, is that uh, password coded? Do you have to apply? Do you have to be of a certain um, background to get access to that? Because some of these things are limited by, you know, you have to register and you have to be a student at such and such or wherever. Well, that straight away precludes a lot of the public. Um, do you know what? As we speak this, of course, I'm Googling it to, to remind myself. <laughs> I know the NIHR um, have a, 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 an early career researcher or whatever the correct phrase is for people doing research, but we can't access it's it. It's a good website, I'm called the members. researcher. No, so this is, this is, everything that's on there is public. You can register if you want to contribute or post comments and things, but everything in there is... is um, it's accessible without it's having to pre-register. It's a kind of network of researchers publish their their articles and then for their peers to be able to look at in a free space specifically for Alzheimer's. And the other website that I really like because they they just they just present information and it's not just dementia specific, but it's the NHS um, choices. Well, I don't know if it's called NHS choices. I'm just the NHS website which is called Behind the Headlines, mm-hmm. where they take the the you know the high when the red wine is going sure to cure is. you of dementia, yeah. they'll tell us actually the, the the research behind that particular headline. Exactly, <laughs> we I'm, quite I'm, like that one though. There's, um, <laughs> but they they're good because they they break it down to explain who it is that's done this, what they did, how the research is interpreted, it, and and almost put a sensible view on um, on what has been in the media. It's all going out and buying cases of red wine, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, there's coffee. usually something on there at least once a month. I'm looking here, 22nd of October was the last where it says, study confirms that keeping heart healthy also reduces dementia risk. You surprise, you surprise. Would have known. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> What's good for your heart's good for your head. Wow. So let's, let's, move, let's move on. Because I, I'm, conscious of, I'm conscious of time and, and it's so easy to, to get carried away. So I think my, my biggest advice, I'm just sorry I had to put in, but I just, before I lose the concentration, is, is don't make assumptions on any part, from the researchers or from the people. We just need to talk to each other. We need to ask. I think that that's yeah. you know something we've heard a lot of is oh well I didn't think I could ask or I didn't think I should ask. Mm. My answer is just ask. And if we'll you get, say no. You will say no if we can't do it. And so accommodate for both. So if you are going to publish something like that, you could you could do a full scientific breakdown and a summary for for the people that want to read the detail and can for the people that Absolutely. you know just want the headlines. And why don't they when they publish a paper just just have some um, you know um, some patient comments included in the paper mm. at the end? Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly that lends its. I mean. It's trickier if no patients have been involved. But then again, actually, do you know what? I think there's nothing wrong either with trying to, trying to put, you know, 
get more patient involvement with the stuff that happens in the lab as well to understand mm. what's going on in the back end rather than just going, oh mm. yeah, none yeah. of us, well, apart from Hillary. Hillary <laughs> understands what's going on in the lab, but nobody else. Well, I think especially with dementia, we all need to work together. Yeah. You know, it, 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 the old disabled term years ago for disabled rights was nothing about us without us, which I hear quite a lot. But, but with dementia, we can't do it on our own and you can't do it on your own because it's such a technical, um, varied disease. Yeah. So, so I think it's nothing about us without all of us. We've all got a part to play. Absolutely. And we were very privileged to go around um, Professor Julie Williams' laboratory in Cardiff University, which is going to be one of the dementia... Well, it is... A That's dementia on genetics, re- isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is a Dementia Research Institute's hub. And she explained in very simple terms uh, what she was looking at what they were hoping for, and she you know, was really confident that they would find some kind of breakthrough within a, a, a short amount of time. And she, spoke, she was able to speak to us in our language, we understood every word she said. So there's no need uh, to bamboozle us with technical jargon without getting your message across. I, know the cha- I mean, I don't know if the charities have done this across the board, but I've certainly seen as well you know, YouTube videos from the charities where they've talked about you know, probably more to do with the procedures that you might experience where, you know, what is a CSF and CSF. what an MRI is like and things like that. But actually, you could understand that they could they could also... I, I'm envisaging already a whole YouTube series on, you know, presenting research in, in bite-sized chunks that, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for uh, as part of this podcast today. Um, however, what we're going to do is we're going to carry on talking. Um, we've got lots more questions and lots more to talk about. And uh, as I mentioned at the start today, that this was a special on-location podcast recording. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into part one and part two. So we're going to call uh, an end to part one there. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you um, for part two. Um, and so just to finish up here today, um, I'd like to once again um, uh, thank Hilary, Jane and Chris, um, our panellists. Um, and I'd also like to thank Piers Cotting and the University of Exeter Medical School for hosting us today. Um, if you've got anything to add on this topic, please do post your comments in the forum on our website or drop us a line on Twitter using hashtag ECR Dementia. And please do remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud and iTunes. So uh, as I said, we're going to carry on recording. So um, uh, please come back for part two of this podcast um, when we'll, we'll carry on the discussion. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.